We live in a world where men and women are hungry and thirsting spiritually. Now, most don't admit it, don't recognize it, but Christians have come to recognize that all of their own efforts, all of their own attempts to find meaning in life is empty. There is an emptiness in this world, and this world cannot satisfy the spiritual soul needs of the human heart. All the money in the world, all the fame, all the, the accomplishments of this world will not fill your heart. Thank you for joining with us on Let the Bible Speak Today. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher. I do truly count it a joy to bring you God's Word from the pulpit of our church. We take the sermons that are preached Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, and we prepare them for the radio time that is allowed, and we take this great joy in sharing the message of God's Word and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ with you. And I trust that this is a help, and I pray that today's lesson on Jesus, the bread of life, will be a, a message of grace and of encouragement to your own heart. To close, we have a word on the cross and the, the hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. So stay tuned and join with us right through the program as from the pulpit of our church, we let the Bible speak. Draw near to us now. Send us the Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Breathe upon every heart. Let your will be done in us today. It is your work, your will, that we believe on Jesus and put our confidence in him. Lord, lead us to a clear, solid, simple faith in our Lord Jesus. And may we partake of this communion today with clear thinking and with true believing that will honor thee, we pray. Give help now in preaching your word. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. John 6.35 is our text then. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Now, I have chosen this text very deliberately because this is our communion uh, service, and we will be taking the bread and the cup, and in particular here the bread, and we will be holding the visual physical piece of white bread in our hands, and we will eat of that, and the Lord has commanded us to do so in remembrance of Him. Now, this text is absolutely amazing. You just think about it. It's one thing for the Lord Jesus to say, I am, because that elevates Him to the, the, the place of deity. And then to say, I am the bread of life. And the meaning, of course, in a nutshell, is simply, I am everything you need to be saved, to be whole, to be ready for heaven. I am the bread of life. Now, the Lord, of course, had already backed this up by just feeding 5,000 people with a boy's lunch and with all those 12 baskets left over. And then the discussion arose between him and the disciples about manna, how God had fed the people in the wilderness for 40 years, every day, six days a week, and a double supply on Fridays for Saturday. 
how God furnished a table in the wilderness, fed his people with this manna, which was a, a whole food, everything they needed. It was a full diet. And now the Lord Jesus is, is countering the disciples, asking all these questions to, to see a sign. They want to see some sign. Well, they've already seen a sign, a miracle of feeding the 5,000. And now they're looking for a, another sign. And the Lord Jesus simply states, I am the bread of life. Now, these cannot be the claims of an ordinary man. They cannot be the claims of someone who is mortal, who is also subject to all the spiritual needs that you and I have. This must be a person who is immortal and infinite, and out of whose life comes the spiritual supply of every soul that believes on him. Now, these claims are relevant to us today as we come to the communion supper. We come to feast on the Lord Jesus by faith. Now, bread, the little bit of bread that you're going to take today, it will it'll not do a whole lot for your body. I think we'll all be looking for lunch after we get home today. And so, this is not for physical supply. This is a symbol whereby we get our eyes on the one who said, I am the bread of life, who is supernatural. And the key to understanding these verses is to understand that eating the Lord's body equals believing on Him. Now, I need to emphasize that. The partaking, the eating of Jesus' body, which is symbolized in this little piece of bread, is equal to, it is a reference to, believing on the Lord Jesus. Now, let's finish the text, John 6, 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. It's all about believing. It's all about coming to the Lord Jesus. And those two are synonymous. They're the same deal. Coming to the Lord Jesus, believing on him, is exactly the same exercise. And this is what the Lord is pointing out repeatedly in this very passage. And you will see that he repeats it over and over and over again, that he might, he might drum it into the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. This table today is for believers, those who have come to the Lord Jesus, and those who have believed on him to be the bread of life, the true bread that is come down from heaven, who will meet the spiritual need of your heart. Now, here is the secret to the meaning of life. Here is also the saving power that gives us spiritual life. And then also here is the means to sustain that life. Those are my three headings today. The first is the secret to the meaning of life. We live in a world where men and women are hungry 
and thirsting spiritually. Now, most don't admit it, don't recognize it, but Christians have come to recognize that all of their own efforts, all of their own attempts to find meaning in life is empty. There is an emptiness in this world, and this world cannot satisfy the spiritual soul needs of the human heart. All the money in the world, all the fame, all the, the accomplishments of this world will not fill your heart. Someone said that man's heart is like a triangle, and only the triune God can fill the, the void within the human heart. Solomon in Ecclesiastes said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity. Vanity means empty. And then he went on to say, And vexation. And that would mean hungering, vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. You just think of our lives here on earth. They eke out often in misery. They eke out often in all the complexities and struggles of life, and they end with vanity. I have been to many care homes and been in situations, and one man I met an elderly gentleman, and 30 years before, he was a businessman. He was someone in community and society. And there he is, sitting at the table, waiting for his food to be delivered. And then the attendant has to sit with him with the tiniest of spoons to feed him. Life has reduced him to the big question mark, what is life? all about. And of course, if after death there is but an annihilation, that we just cease to exist. The question mark only gets bigger and bigger. If, if man, at the end of his course, he comes into this world, born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward, he goes through his life with a, a struggle to get to some point of attainment, and then he descends down into decline and decay, and one day death. And if it's annihilation, that's the end. Well, what is the meaning of life? The question mark just gets bigger and bigger. This world is so plagued with death. All around us, it is so huge. Death came into the world, of course, by sin by man's rebellion to God. And God judged this world at one point in Noah's day because of man's rebellion. Man had gotten to the point where he had to be wiped out and destroyed, and God sent a flood. God's judgment is real, and God's wrath is real. And there is an eternity where we will give account and we will be dealt with according to our words and our deeds. This is a moral world where we will be judged. And for you, it's either going to be heaven or it's going to be eternal hell. It is either going to be with God in glory or it's going to be without God in darkness, 
in separation and in torment for all eternity. And we need a Savior. And the Lord Jesus is that provided Savior that we might be brought out of emptiness into fullness and into the promise of eternal life. Now, here in this statement where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the answer to the hungering. I'm the answer to the vanity and the vexation of spirit. I'm your answer to the meaningless of life. He is saying here that he has the power to give life. This is metaphorical language. This is not just a, pre, a plain doctrinal statement. I am the bread of life. Uh, Jesus is referring here, of course, to the whole process of uh, growing the grain, making the bread, and feeding the physical body. And he's taking that picture and he's applying it to the spiritual part of man's life. And just in the same process as bread is grown, uh, harvested, milled, baked, and eaten, the Lord Jesus went through that same process. He truly is for us the bread of life because he grew up as a tender plant. This is the language of Isaiah now. He grew up as a tender plant. Just as the grain grows in the field, the Lord Jesus came into this world an infant, and he grew up in his tenderness, his innocency, his purity, and he grew into manhood. And then that same passage in Isaiah says he was cut off from the land of the living. Just as the harvester goes into the field with his scythe, and he finds the grain, and he, he cuts it off, and he bundles it into a sheaf in the process of harvesting. And then that grain has to be bruised, beaten, and milled so that it is turned into flour to make bread. Again, Isaiah tells us that he was bruised for our iniquities. And our Lord Jesus grew to manhood. He was sentenced to death, cut off from the land of the living. But he died a cruel, sacrificial death in suffering, that out of his life, out of his pure life, out of his supernatural life, would come eternal life for his people, so that he becomes as bread for our souls. And when you think of Calvary and think of the, the sacrifice that Jesus offered himself upon that tree, there is the whole work of Jesus' body being turned into bread for us in the suffering, in the yielding of himself to the Father, and of course, the fires of God's wrath falling upon him. Now, I'm not going to take the imagery too far and try and equate the wrath of God to the oven in which the, the bread is baked. I'll allow your imagination to go there if you will. But certainly in the death of the Lord Jesus, 
there was this process akin to the making of bread, growing up as a tender plant, cut off, bruised, so that out of his life would flow eternal life for you and for me, and that all his people might trust in him as Savior. Now, Jesus' body is bread to provide certain salvation. Would you go down to verse 39? You'll notice in this passage that our Lord Jesus mentions, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. None of his people who believe on him, who trust in him as the bread of life, the way of salvation, will ever be lost. What a wonderful statement. This just gets grander and grander. He says, I am, I'm God. I'm the bread of life to feed the souls of all the people whom the Father gives to me. And everyone who puts their trust in me, not one will ever be lost. These statements just, it just begins to grow and expand in its wonder. And this is the Savior that we have in our Lord Jesus. How can he say that? Well, verse 32, Jesus contended, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Can you see the Trinity here? Can you see God the Father behind this plan? That he would give his Son to become as green? That he would give his life, and you know how green, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die? You can't have a harvest. Well, out of the pure life of the Lord Jesus, who gave himself to death, out of his death, now comes an amazing harvest, and there is the gathering in of his people. Now, this certainty, this guarantee that none will be lost, leads us right back to the cross, to what Jesus accomplished there. Because I never like to look at the cross merely as a possibility. I like to look at the cross in the terms that we find here, that our Lord Jesus was suffering for his people in their place as their substitute. So that you and I can say as Christians, as believers, I died when Christ died. When Christ died on that cross, I died. There is no longer any curse for me. I'm no longer united to old Adam. I'm no longer united under the curse, because as far as the law is concerned, as far as God is concerned, when Jesus died as my substitute, I died in him. And there is no longer any claim against me. I'm dead, and I am free in the risen resurrection life of the Lord Jesus. Now, that was substitutionary. And I like to use these terms, and I like to guide even the youngest believer here today into the terms that the gospel is built on. 
These are like Lego blocks. They are building blocks of our faith. And it's so important that we use the terms and we pour in the meaning into them that they deserve, and that we build up our picture and understanding of what our Lord Jesus accomplished on that cross. And so he died substitutionally in our place. All his sufferings were vicarious, not for himself, but for his people. And he was bruised, milled at the cross for us, that we, out of his life and death, would be given eternal life. Do you get the picture? Does it thrill your heart? Does it build your faith? Does it give you much more than just say, I believe the gospel? No, you must say, Christ died for me. Christ died as my substitute. He died as my vicar. He died in my place. And through his suffering comes forth life, real life, eternal life for me. Thank you for joining with us through the program and for hearing the Lord's Word here today. And I trust that there has been a word for your heart, that you have considered Christ, that you have looked to Him, and I trust that you will seek Him as your own Lord and Savior. Philippians 3.18 says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Criminals make themselves enemies of the state. Spies turn traitors, betray their home nation, and make themselves enemies of their very homeland. The Apostle Paul wrote of men who make themselves enemies of the cross of Christ. To befriend the cross is to become the friend of God. God designed the cross to take away the enmity out of the heart of man that the offense may cease. The cross reconciles sinful men to a holy God who is offended by our sin. Through the power of Jesus' atoning blood, our sins are covered over so that God sees them no more. He then declares us to be justified, just as if we had never sinned. To shun the cross is to become an enemy of the cross. Until men give up their resistance to the cross of Christ, they continue in their hostilities to the goodness of God and declare themselves rebels. To reject the mechanism of reconciliation which God has ordained out of his mercy to sinners makes men enemies of God forever. To turn down the work of a mediator leaves no hope for resolution to the ongoing feud between your wicked heart and God's heart of grace. To trample upon the very blood of Jesus that was shed to cover your sins only declares how much you really hate the goodness of God. You truly are an enemy of the cross. No preacher announces this with joy. Our text tells us of the Apostle Paul weeping to see people continue on as enemies of the cross. His earnest desire, and ours too, is to declare the good news that Jesus is the friend of sinners. But to see every offer of the Savior's friendship rejected makes it obvious that there is no human hope for salvation for these souls. Paul noted that they were headed for destruction, 
Their corruptions were stronger than their convictions, for they were married to earthly things. Such sinners need to be turned from their sins and drawn, powerfully drawn to the cross. You need to be convicted of sin, converted by God's Spirit, and brought to trust in the cross as God's way of saving your soul. How may you know if you are a friend of the cross? Its answer is very simple. Do you rejoice in the victory that Jesus won in his offering up himself as a sacrifice for sin? Do you realize why he died? Let me answer that. It was out of infinite love to reconcile men to God. It was to remove the curse of the sin that was destroying us in order to bring us into a state of full salvation for our souls. To be a friend of the cross means to know why Jesus died, and it means to rejoice in its power in your own life, to know that your sins are cast away as far as the east is from the west, puts a song in every believer's heart. Believe in the cross, accept the nature of its work, and rest in its power to cancel all the claims of sin. Turn from being an enemy of the cross today to being a friend of the cross. Come to the cross and rejoice in the Savior's dying love for you. I want you to think today on this hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music